helpful in that as well. And you're, you'll be able to give, I believe, directly, but also corporately through the church here as you mark your offerings towards them. That would be a blessing. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. We're going to veer off of our Hebrews study. Time is going to be limited as we're still going to celebrate the communion meal, so I'm going to talk predominantly about that this morning. We'll be back in Hebrews next week, but I just want to look at what is going on during the... What what does a a communion meal entail other than having the elements that we're so familiar with because there's so much else that's got to be going on. Just the name communion, that's a compound word. It's a common union. It's a union that we have, this fellowship that we have based upon the Lord Jesus Christ and what Christ has done in our lives. And so I want to look at the intimacy of it. I want to look how, well, intimacy with Christ, but the intimacy with one another. I want to look at who has attended, well, at least this meal here in John chapter 12. This wasn't, Jesus had yet to institute the communion um, meal at this point, but nonetheless, we can still draw concepts from it. Right now, here in John chapter 12, it's about a week before the ultimate event of humanity, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 1 of John 12, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Bethany is on the outskirts of Jerusalem. It's probably Friday, could be Saturday before the crucifixion. And so again, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he, Jesus, had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. In the Jewish culture, as well as ours, intimacy goes with dining together. Matter of fact, a lot of us, I know with my wife and myself, our very first date, we went out to dinner. Last night on our 10,343rd date, however many it's been, we went out to dinner last night. We enjoy one another. It's fun. We have good conversation and good food. Those just seem to go together. And so there's something real about that. And how much more so to have such fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with fellow born-again believers. Our communion meal today, it needs to be seen as family time. The family of Calvary Chapel, Ontario, but also the family of Christ getting together and doing that, which God had Well, not suggested, but what God has commanded us to do, partake of this communion meal. Specifically, this meal is a celebration of new life that Lazarus has found through Jesus Christ. But isn't that the same communion meal that we celebrate? It's that new life that we have in Jesus Christ. And we celebrate it together as we hold those elements in our hands, looking back at the cross, but looking forward to that time when we'll be in his presence for all of eternity. In verse 2 it says, There they made him supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Now, looking at a parallel account in another gospel, in the gospel of Matthew, we see that there was up to 17 people present at that meal. There was obviously the Lord Jesus Christ. There were the 12 apostles, Lazarus, Martha and Mary were there, and the homeowner, Simon, was there as well. And what we have here is a very rich picture of the body of Christ. Lazarus? Lazarus is a picture of those who were formerly dead, but now is alive. Those whom Christ had entered into his life. He was in a situation, he had a circumstance that he could do absolutely nothing about. Lazarus was dead. Jesus made that very clear 
until Christ entered into his life. It was a but God moment. A but God moment when Jesus Christ entered into the, the life of Lazarus, or maybe I should say, and this is more important, entered into the death of Lazarus and gave him new life. We also see this man here, Simon. Is a picture of those who are to be raptured. It's a picture of those who are around the time when Christ, well, seven years before Christ returns, and they're going to be translated, they're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Because once again, we get a little bit more insight in Matthew, Matthew 26, 6. It tells us that this is the house of not just Simon, but Simon the leper. He once again was a person who, well, his body was literally falling apart. He had a disease, and it was a disease that, once again, he could do nothing about. It was a disease that separated him from the worship of God because those who had... um, (laughs) One of the kids there is lifting up the curtains, and I kind of looked over there. (laughs) Hey, he wants to see what's going on over here. Probably making sure we're not in here eating candy or something. (laughs) Anyway, he would have been separated because a person who had leprosy was to be separated from the people, and they were to call themselves unclean. And so they had that curse. And so in actuality, because they are dining with Simon, this is Simon who was formerly a leper. Simon has been given a new body. It has been transformed. It has been changed into not what it was, but something new and something that has given him new life and the ability to truly worship the Lord. We see in Matthew chapter 8, verse 3, in Matthew's account of Simon's healing, it says, Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy was cleansed. Again, we see, and again, we're looking at this picture. We're looking at this picture of the body of Christ. We could be looking at this picture of Calvary Chapel, Ontario, here today. We see Martha once again. Martha, well, she wasn't too happy when we were first introduced to her. She was doing all the work, and Mary was over there with the Lord. And so she was somebody who was very frustrated, but we see here, now she's somebody who is contently serving without the frustrations of before. Why would this happen? Well, I think she just came into a deeper knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. With the proper knowledge of the Lord, service, service isn't a burden. Going, going is a joyful expectation of what God is going to do. And so she serves now with very little notice. She doesn't draw attention to herself. Matter of fact, they made him, verse 2, a supper, and Martha served. Just saying, now, Martha, no longer is she doing this burdensome work. Now she's serving. And there's a big part between working and serving. Serving is doing what God has called you to do based upon the gifting that he has given you for the purpose of the gospel to the glory of Jesus Christ. It seems that Martha had the gift of hospitality possibly spoken of in Romans chapter 12, verse 13. It's a gifting of the Holy Spirit that God uses. Verse 3, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now, there's two people who get the most attention here in this section of Scripture. Really, the first, more verses, is Judas, but then Mary would be second. We'll look at Judas in a minute. Mary's actions are actions of worship. She's completely and totally surrendering surrendering herself to the Lord. And worship? Worship is to be a predominantly, it's private, there's no doubt, but it is to be expressed publicly. 
And that's what she's doing. I mean, here she is in this, in, in this group of people at this meal, and she brings in this oil of spikenard, and she's anointing his feet, and she's wiping his feet with, with her hair. And if you didn't understand the spiritual ramifications, it would be very awkward. What in the world is she doing? Well, we know what she's doing. She's worshiping at the feet of the Lord because, we've said it so many times, every time you see Mary, the sister of Martha, she's seated at the feet of the Lord. In John eleven thirty two, then when Martha came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, trying to understand death and the death of her brother Lazarus. In Luke chapter 10, verse 39, and she, Martha, had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet. To sit at somebody's feet is a Jewish idiom for learning from that particular person. The person who was your master, the person who was your rabbi or teacher, you would theoretically be seated at his feet. See, today we come before the Lord corporately through the scriptures, through the person who has been called to be behind the pulpit for the purpose of teaching God's word, but it's the Holy Spirit who who works. And so theoretically, all of us today, myself included, we're seated at the feet of the Lord to hear what the Lord has to say at Calvary Chapel here this morning. And so the apostles, the apostles, as we look at their lives and we see really their failures, how they were ill-prepared for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ because they all forsook him with the exception of the apostle John, they always wanted to be by his side. They wanted to take his place. They didn't spend the necessary time seated at his feet. In Luke ten thirty nine, and she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And so she's got an understanding. Heard his word? Well, so many times beforehand, Jesus spoke of his death. He spoke how these men were going to come and take him and that they were going to crucify him. And it's like the apostles, right over their head. Didn't even hear it. Hardly ever questioned him concerning it. Peter made that silly answer, hey, I'll die before I allow that to happen to you, not understanding that God was there to die for him. But Mary is the one who is seated at his feet, and she seems to get it. She seems to understand it. And so what this tells me, what I see here, even in this humble woman, if you want to sit at the master's feet, spend time in his word, because that's exactly what she was doing. So because of that, because she's understanding what's going on, because she has an understanding of his death, I would imagine the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also the Old Testament, putting these things together. Mary, she took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard. Mary, Mary worshipped Jesus from her substance. This fragrant oil cost her one year's worth of wages. How much money do you make in a year? Can you just give that over to the Lord Jesus Christ? More than likely, this was something she was using to save. It could have been part of a dowry. could have just been whatever. They didn't have banks back then, so have money laying around wasn't a good thing. So you would invest it in something, and more than likely, she invested in something. What is she doing here? By, by pouring that oil out, she's anointing Jesus for her death, but she's giving of her, of her all. She's giving of her all, and she's giving it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, in this very public way, we see, we'll see here in a minute, Judas is even beside herself that she would be wasting all of that, at least in his fleshly mind. Secondly, we see Mary's example. She's worshiping him in faith. She knew that Jesus' body, based upon his word in the Old Testament, would not see corruption. 
So instead of anointing his body after death, she anointed his body before his death. And again, it's just because she's understanding through the spirit of admiration of what Christ is about to do upon the cross. The gates of heaven are about to be open to all of humanity. Now keep this in context, just on the back of your mind, of the meal that we're about to celebrate, this communion meal, and, and, and what our spirit of adoration should be to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, she's doing this in faith. We're looking back. We're still doing it in faith, but we're looking back at an event that has already transpired. She's looking forward to something that has yet to happen, but nonetheless, she's worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ with her all. Verses 4 and 6. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Thus, or This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. Judas is the anti-type of Mary. When Mary gave of her substance, he was concerned with taking. Mary worshipped sacrificially. He's somebody who is very selfish. Mary gives, and Judas, he robs. Mary's, her worship, 300 denarii, it's all for Jesus. Judas would later sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver or 120 denarii. And you see the contrast in the scriptures. In Matthew twenty six thirteen, Jesus says about this event, what Mary was doing, And surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Hey, Matthew, some 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. Matthew, 2,000 years later, what you recorded about this woman, Mary, is still a great example of humble worship before a holy God. And then Proverbs 10, 7, speaking of Judas, the memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked, it'll rot. Do you know any Judases? Every time you say the name, who pops into your mind? There, there are certain names, there are certain people that, well, when that name comes up, boom, it just... It just sends shivers up your spine sometimes. I don't remember, I think it was Van Houten, one of the Manson followers was just up for parole, I believe, and was denied once more. But there's that name Manson again. Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein. And just these names that, well, they just rot. They just rot throughout the course of history. It's very interesting. If you look at verse 4, it says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, and it says Simon's son. It doesn't say the son of Simon. There was a lot of Simons that were walking around back then. But it doesn't say the son of Simon. It says Simon's son. Now it says Simon's son. And what that says to me is that we already know who Simon is. We've been introduced to Simon. Well, whose house are we in? They're in Simon's house. They're in Simon's house who was formerly a leper. And what we have at this meal is this man Judas. And Judas has heard for three years the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees this intimate worship of the Lord. And if in fact Simon is Judas's father, he saw the transformation power of Jesus Christ, how he's able to change a life into something that, while the world looks as a waste, but now has become something new, vibrant, and valuable in the sight of the Lord. And he forsook all of that. And you need to see the depth to which he refused the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I just want to close, and we'll get ready for communion here in a minute. Again, verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. She worshipped him in submission to him. Again, she wiped his feet with her hair. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15, that a woman has long hair, and it says, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. I like my wife's hair. I think my wife has beautiful hair. My wife could care less about my hair, and that's a good thing, because there ain't much hair there. And as I go walking down the street, I don't think too many people, hey, that guy doesn't have any hair. Now, if it was my wife walking down the street like that, that might be a thing. But that's just a reality, isn't it? I mean, the barbers know that and the hairdressers because, well, I do my own hair and hers is quite a bit more expensive. We won't go there. But in order to worship him, so you don't lose the typology here. Don't lose the picture. She's surrendering her glory to Jesus Christ. Lord, through through that act of, of wiping his feet with her hair, she's surrendering herself with the Lord Jesus, to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about me, Lord. It's all about you. And I've spent time at your feet learning. And so, Lord, I'm going to anoint that position, that place of learning that has caused this change in my life where I come to an understanding of God's plan, not just for humanity, but for me personally as well. And then it says, And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And again, point I want to make. Why was the house filled with the fragrance of the oil? And what is the significance of it? Well, you look to Jesus as the example. The fragrant oil filled the house because it was now upon the Lord's feet. It was in a a jar of some sort, this glass container that usually is broken, and it was poured out on his feet. So as Jesus walked about that house, that whole house would be filled of the fragrance of that oil. Well, we know in the scriptures, oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And as we're here, there's just the, the fragrance of Christ within this place. But then, at some point, Jesus is going to leave. Jesus is not only going to leave the house, but he is going to leave the presence of mankind, at least in the physical presence that he had at that point. But there still was going to be the fragrance of Christ, because the fragrance of the oil that had been poured out upon the feet of Jesus Christ is now upon the, the hair of Mary. And isn't it kind of a thing that, you know, once something gets in your hair it just kind of stays there you'll have to tell me because i'm unaware but uh, you know the days you used to go to a bar you know the smoke and you know that stuff where were you been man you smell like you know that kind of a thing well can you imagine as she was seated there and she was wiping his feet even when jesus left it's the fragrance of christ it's all of those who have spent time with the lord jesus christ When you go, there's just that fragrance and that fragrance of the oil or the Holy Spirit that fills our lives as we sit and as we learn. And so the idea, or at least the picture is here as we gather together for this meal. And and we know that we're doing at this moment what Christ has called us to do. And then we're going to leave this place. And I pray that we leave this place with the fragrance of Christ. Now, again, we've got this picture. Jesus is there. It's the church. You've got 12 guys, 12 guys who are learning, didn't really understand the totality of, of God's plan and the whole thing, but there's people like that here, and you're in a good place today. 
there was this man who had been delivered, Simon, who'd been delivered from that which he could do nothing about. Lazarus, pretty much the same. And again, this place is filled with such people. There's Martha. We have people who are serving, been serving Jesus Christ wholeheartedly to, to his glory. Unfortunately, there may be a Judas or two here because, well, that just always seems to be. But then there is the, all of us as we come to this place, as we worship the Lord, and as we take that out of this place, it's the fragrance of Christ that goes out into the community, out on the other side of the world, wherever it might be, that people would, people would be aware of that. I mean, we live in this time with the diffuser thing, the essential oils and all of that, and, and, and it's amazing the power that a scent has. When I played football in high school, during spring training or summer training, I went to Brayolinda High School, and we would run up in the oil fields, and we had, we called it Pork Chop Hill. It was this hill about 100 yards long, and it went uphill, and they would, we would run wind sprints up and down, up and down. It would just kill you. But they had the shrubbery that was out there in the, in the hills, probably still there, and in the morning, the dew would be upon that, and there would be that scent that it would give off. And today, when I smell that scent, it takes me back to the torture I was experiencing out in the Brea oil fields. And so my point in that is, is that a fragrance, wow, that's pretty strong. Maybe it's a perfume of your wife or a cologne of your husband, you know, whatever it might be. But how much more so do we see the fulfillment of that as we take the Lord Jesus Christ out of these doors? What's different about that person? It's not the stench of the world, but it's an unpleasant aroma. And we know that to be the aroma of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ amongst those who are being saved, amongst those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, obviously the ones who are perishing, and to the other, of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Worship team can come up now. So as we prepare for this communion meal, we have the bread that represents the body of Christ, but today I just want to focus upon the juice. It was the wine at that meal. And there were four cups four cups that represented four promises of deliverance from God that was celebrated at the communion meal. Basically, in the book of Matthew, we just see the last two or the last two that are spoken of. But I just want to speak of all four of them just real quick, and then we'll get to the, uh, to the, the communion meal. They were four cups of promises or four cups of joy. They're based upon Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. Therefore, says, or therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out. And so that would be the first cup, a cup of joy, that God, God has promised that he will deliver us. God has already delivered you today if you're a born-again believer. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. God will keep us from the world. And that apart from God, well, if he's for us, who can be against us? And again, when a question is asked in the scripture, the answer is to the negative. The answer is nobody. That's the second cup of joy. Third cup of joy, I will redeem you. See, we have that benefit. Once again, we can look back and we can see that we are 
redeemed. We were headed to destruction, but we've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the third cup. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And then the fourth cup, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. And the idea is, is that when we are in the presence of God, that's a future promise that when we are in heaven, in the throne room of God, that we are in the presence of Jesus Christ, that's when that last cup is going to be celebrated. That's the future cup of joy that we look forward, that great hope that dwells within us so that as we gather these communion elements together, as we worship the Lord, Father, give us a spirit that worships just as Mary did, just surrendering ourselves to you, God, that you would be glorified in this place, but that, Father, your fragrance would follow us out of this place. And so, Father, we just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the testimonies we heard from our kids, from Jake and Christina, and just, Father, all that you have. Lord, I, I, I lift up those who are sitting here, and, and, Lord, we are to consider ourselves. We are to consider, Lord, is there any sin within our lives that we have yet to repent of because repentance is that which releases our sin and it gives it over to Christ who deals with it? Is there any sin that, Lord, I just pray that those here would consider themselves? Or is there any unbelievers amongst us today? If there is, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you would hear the gospel, recognize your sins, to repent of them, and to submit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that Judas didn't do it. He died apart from Christ, not just at that point, but for all eternity. And so as eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if there's something that you need to give over to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm just going to ask for a raising of hands. This is you just asking for forgiveness. And again, I can over-explain this, and I don't intend to do so, but you know if there's just some element of your life that's not right with him, that you're far from him, whatever it might be, just lift your hand up. I'm just going to acknowledge it, and then we'll close with just one prayer. But this is just you coming before the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have yet to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's something personal between you and the Lord. Have that be an outward expression of what Christ is doing in your heart. Lift your hand. If you know you need to get right with the Lord, if you know you need a touch from the Lord today, just lift your hand. If you're in the overflow, you can lift it out there. I see your hands that have gone up to my left. I see yours in the back and mine to the right. I mean, yours to the right, up front here. Again, this is between you and God. You're not doing it for me or for anybody else. It's just because the Lord has laid this upon your heart. Is there anybody else? Don't allow these moments to get past you because God orchestrates these moments for the purpose of your deliverance, for the purpose of your cleansing. Is there anybody else? I see your hand to my right. Yours in the back. Anybody else? This is just between you and God. I'm just providing the opportunity. Anybody else? You can put your hands down. Father, you see the hands that have gone up before you. And again, Lord, these hands are just an outward expression of what you're doing in the hearts of the people today. And so, Father, I just pray for those who have lifted their hands that you would meet them in a most personal way. Uh, Father, we would have that joy that, Lord, as we, as we admit our sins, as we repent of our sins, you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Father, I just pray as we prepare to partake of this communion meal that we would do so in all confidence once again with a heart of worship based upon what you have done in the past, looking forward, Lord, to that great future that we have with you. Be glorified, Lord, through our humble actions, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Worship team's going to lead us in song. Scott's going to come up and open up the, uh, the elements. Make two lines. Come and get them. Hold on to them. Be seated, and we'll partake together.